0: Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would teach us through your word this morning to trust you and to call on you and to believe that the wicked will receive the justice that is due to them and that you will deliver your people in unexpected ways and Lord, we pray that you would make us those who know you and who walk with you and who experience you as our keeper, as our sentinel, as the one who watches over us. Lord, we ask that you do all this and more by the power of your word, through your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I would invite you to open this morning to Psalm 120. And we will be looking at Psalms 120 and Psalms 121. And you might be sitting there thinking, why in the world would he preach Psalm 120 and 121 on Christmas Day? And the reason is because of the kind of world that we live in. The kind of world that we live in is, a, is the kind of place where about three years ago, 2014, uh, 276 schoolgirls were kidnapped in Nigeria by this group called Boko Haram. And this group called Boko Haram, they, they take their name, the, 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 the first word there, Boko, this is a, a Muslim uh, group of militants, and uh, the, the Boko part, that's a reference to Western education, and the Haram part is a reference to sin. so basically their name is asserting Western education is sinful and the kinds of things that they're opposed to are, are the idea that the world is round, not flat. Uh, they're, they're opposed to people being educated in ways that would undermine Islam and um, and among their their practices uh, because because their ranks were thinning, what they began to do was they began to kidnap children. And a few weeks before they kidnapped these, these over 200, 273 uh, schoolgirls, they had um, barricaded dozens of schoolboys. I don't know why they decided to do this, but you know there's no logic really to evil. Uh, they had barricaded dozens of schoolboys into their dorm room and then burned the place down upon them, murdering them all. Um, this, this story that I'm referencing about, um, is actually about uh, 103 of these girls being liberated. But the way that they were liberated uh, was through a ransom payment. So a deal was worked out where they would exchange five captured Boko Haram, Haram leaders and three million euros... I don't know how much that is in dollars. It's a lot. Three million euros that they would give to Boko Haram in exchange for um, these, these girls to be returned. You may have seen the Twitter hashtag, hashtag bring back our girls. Uh, Mrs. Obama, She. Uh, there was a photo taken of her holding a placard. A bunch of people got in on this. Well, so three million euros have been paid in ransom, and 103 of these girls have been liberated. But that group, Boko Haram, which was on the ropes, they were... They were, um, they were being starved out. They were very short on cash. They were losing support. Well, now they have all this money. And, and in the days since they have been paid all this money, 3 million euros, they have sent more than 90 children strapped with bombs into public places uh, as suicide bombers. And more than 1,000 people have died as a result of these, these suicide bombers. So these people are not for peace. And and I think that this whole situation provides a fitting context for our examination, our consideration of what, what the psalmist will say in Psalm 120 today. As we approach Psalm 120, let me, just, let me just try to set the broader context of what's going on in the Psalter, and I think that too will add to the fittingness of the fact that we're considering this today on, on Christmas Day. So you may have noticed that the Psalms are divided into five books, and that book five, if you've been here, you've seen all this with us, but if you're visiting, this might be new to you. Book five starts in Psalm 107, and uh, the opening words of Psalm 107 are, are spoken by one who is speaking as though God's future redemption has already happened. So Psalm 107, verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's as though the redemption, the final redemption has at last happened, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and then verse 3, and gathered in from the lands. What's significant about this is that when these words were spoken, that redemption and that ingathering hadn't happened yet. So this ancient psalmist is looking to the future, expecting God's future redemption, expecting a day when God will bring all of the exiles, all of the scattered, back to the new Jerusalem, where the the future king from David's line will sit and reign as king. And and that kind of perspective continues as we work through book five of the Psalms. So in Psalm 108, you have uh, this combination of two earlier Psalms, these episodes from David's life in Psalms 57 and 60. Uh, Psalm 108 consists of parts of Psalms 57 and 60, and it's like David's life is being projected into the future into the life of the future David. And this is what's going on in the New Testament when when the New Testament writers will say things like, this took place to fulfill, and then they'll quote a line from the Psalms. And then Psalm 109 is is a a Davidic prayer against someone who had betrayed David. And I would propose to you that David is expecting the future king from his line to be betrayed the way that he was betrayed. And so he's composing a prayer that's going to fit In that situation, and sure enough, in the New Testament, in Acts 1, they quote Psalm 109 with reference to Judas. And then Psalm 110 is the most quoted Psalm in the New Testament. Um, David says, the Lord, God, says to my Lord, and that can only be the future king from his line, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And And then he installs him as this king after the order of Melchizedek. And then after this triumphant uh, Davidic king is celebrated in Psalm 110, in Psalms 111 through 117, these are referred to as the Hallel Psalms. Hallel in Hebrew means praise. And over and over through those Psalms, you hear the word Hallelujah, which is translated in your English Uh, Old Testament, praise the Lord, because that's what hallelujah means. So the hallelujahs ring out in response to the future king from David's line in Psalm 110, all through 111 through 117. 118 is about that future king from David's line entering the city of Jerusalem. There's that great moment in Psalm 118 where the people are at the house of the Lord, and they say, we greet you from the house of Of the Lord, and they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. He's coming into the city, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we come to Psalm 119, which we've just completed, praise the Lord. Uh, This magnificent celebration of the law. And it's like the future king from David's line has come in conquest to the city, and now what he does is he establishes God's law in its rightful place in the hearts of God's people. And then we come to Psalms 120 through 134. Every one of these has the superscription or the title, a song of ascents. You could also translate that word ascents. You could translate that a song for the goings up. It's the same word that's used At the end of the book of Chronicles, you may remember at the end of 2 Chronicles, um, the the foreign king issues this decree. He says, anybody that wants to return to the land of of Israel is free to do so. Let him go up. So it's, it's, it's a phrase that let him go up that basically says the people of Israel can now return from exile. And this song of the goings up or song of ascents, I would suggest to you, these songs are anticipating the day when the people of God will come streaming back to the city of God for the worship of God, to live in God's place under the rule of God's king uh, in accordance with the teachings of God's commandments. So Psalms 120 through 134, they're all these songs of ascents, and, and they're written before the redemption happens, for the day when the redemption happens. And, and you may remember, if you were with us um, when we' finished Psalm 119, that that psalm concluded with these pleas for help, look at 119, 169, "Let my cry come before you, O Lord." And then he says in verse 174, "I long for your salvation, O Lord." And that, that longing for God's future salvation continues in 120. Look at, look at verses one and two, where he cries out in his distress. the psalmist says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Now, all through the rest of the psalm, the psalmist is going to fill out the details of what kind of distress he was in. But what I want to do is I want to draw your attention to the things that we're going to see that give us light in these details, give us us light on these details. Look at verse 5. He says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Okay, Meshach is in modern day Turkey. So if you're if we were to have a map up on the screen, which we don't, uh, modern day Turkey would be over to the left, and then down the coast of the Mediterranean would be the land of Israel. And then Kedar would be over to the right, because it's southeast of the land of Israel. And and Meshach is uh, northwest of the land of Israel. So, So this is a guy who's using these two places. And they're opposite in in terms of points of the compass. They're opposite from one another. What is he doing? I, I think he's speaking poetically here. And he's speaking as one who dwells outside the land. And essentially he's saying any place outside the land is the wrong place to be. Because where I want to be is in God's place, in God's city, worshiping at God's house. Now, these places are also significant, if you were paying attention, when Randall read Isaiah 60 earlier, it said in, in verse uh, 7 or so, it said, the flocks of Kadar will be gathered to you. As the wealth of the nations is brought in, one of the places from which the wealth is going to come is Kedar. In the future, that place, Kedar, they're going to worship the Lord, which may indicate that this guy is sojourning among Gentiles who one day will be converted This place, Meshach, is also significant. Meshach, uh, in in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we read about the chief prince of the land of Meshach, and his name is Gog. Gog of Magog is lord of the land of Meshach. And that place, in Ezekiel 38, that place is going to go to war against Israel. And then that war that's prophesied in Ezekiel 38 is going to be fulfilled and realized in Revelation chapter 20 when Gog of Magog goes to war against the reigning Christ himself. So these are bad places. These are bad places that don't submit to Yahweh. And the psalmist is out there among these wicked people. Look at what he says about them in in verse 6. He says, Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. That word peace is that word shalom. These people hate God's goodness. Verse 7, he says, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. These these are war-mongering people who are outside the land. Look at what he says back in verse 2. This is the distress in verse 1. In my distress, I call to the Lord. He's away from the land. He's among these wicked people. Verse 2, he says, deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips from a deceitful tongue. He's not talking about his own lying lips and his own deceitful tongue, although that's true. We are all sinners and we all tend toward deception. We should repent of that. He's talking about his enemies because look at what he says in verse 3. He says, what shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue. So, so this psalmist is, is among the wicked who when he tries to speak peaceably, when he tries to pursue harmony, they just want to fight. All they want is war. And they're, they're wicked uh, pagans, and, and they're deceptive. How would a deceitful tongue and a lying lip, how would that function for war? Well, probably, probably, as this guy is trying to speak peaceably to them, they act like they're willing to go along with the peace process until the last minute. When it comes out that what they really want to do is fight. And they're not really interested in peace at all. What they're interested in is conquest conquest, and submission. And if you don't bow to all their demands, well, all those promises of peace, those, those, you can't trust them. And so, so this is the distress. He's crying out to the Lord in this distress. And that, look at what's, what's happening in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 He's asking. It's like he's looking at this enemy, this implacable enemy, this person who will not be entreated, this person who doesn't want peace. And he says, essentially, what do you think is going to happen to you? What do you think is going to happen to you? And his answer comes in verse 4. He answers his own question. A warrior's sharp arrows. That's what's going to happen to you. What he's saying to this guy is, you want to pursue violence? You're going to meet a violent end. If that's the way you want to live, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be shot through. What's the next? What are these next words? Verse four: with glowing coals of the broom tree. Uh, as, as we read this, uh, leading up uh, uh, to to today, we in our in our home, what we do is we take the next passage that's going to be preached and. Um, When we're at home at night, which is not every night, but when we can have family worship together, we will uh, read the passage over and over, uh, or you know, once a night, uh, in preparation for the Sunday when it's going to be preached. And early on, as we're reading this, my kids are like, what's he talking about the broom tree? I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. What are these glowing coals? Beats me. I'm going to have to look into this. I have no idea. So uh, what is he talking about with glowing coals of the broom tree? Well, it turns out that these broom trees, they, it's, a, it's a kind of wood that burns for a long time, that produces really good coals. And so there, there's sort of two interpretive options here. One option is that mighty warrior, that mighty warrior is going to shoot you through with sharpened arrows, and then he's going to throw these glowing coals from the broom tree onto your home. And, and he's going to take you down that way. Another option that some other interpreters go for and, and I don't understand this process. Maybe someone who, here who's, who knows how these things work can explain this to me later. But apparently, with a really hot coal, you can you can sharpen things like um, uh, the, the arrowheads and, and you can perfect and harden the wood that you would use for sharpened arrows over the coals. So maybe these, these glowing coals of the broom tree function somehow for the production of these arrows that are going to bring this, this uh, deceitful tongue, the, the wicked, to a violent end. Okay, so, so what he's doing in verses 3 and 4 really is he's taunting the enemy. He's saying to the enemy, do you know what's going to happen to you? Justice is going to happen to you. If you pursue violence, you will meet a violent end and you won't like it one bit. So let me just give you a couple of points of application here. Number 1, notice what this guy is doing in his distress. He's not complaining. He's 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 dealing with his emotions, isn't he? But he's not complaining. What he's doing is he's crying out to the Lord. Look at verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And then look at what the verse goes on to say, and he answered me. Now, where does that answer come Well, I think these psalms are meant to be read in sequence. So in part, the answer is going to come in Psalms 121 and 122. But let's just stay in Psalm 120. How does the Lord answer him? First answer to that question is the Lord assures him of his justice. In his distress, he cries out to the Lord and the Lord gives him this perspective that says these warmongering, treacherous, deceivers... Among whom you dwell, look at the fate that I have prepared for them. And so now he knows how to deal with them. Do you know what's going to happen to you? A warrior's sharp arrows with burning coals of the broom tree. That's what's going to happen to you. But he's impatient. He's impatient for the right things. He's impatient for God's kingdom. He wants to be brought back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord there. Look at verse 5. Woe to me. That I sojourn in Meshach. That I dwell among the tents of Kadar. What he's saying is, I want to go home to Jerusalem. I want to be in God's presence to worship the Lord at God's house. Verse 8. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. So he's crying out for uh, deliverance. And in part, the Lord answers him by giving him perspective and assuring him of his justice. Let me just say one more uh, word or two about Psalm 120 right here. Um, Look at verse 7 there. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The truth is that there are people in the world who are implacable. There are people who are opposed to to God. And they don't like God, and they don't like Jesus, and they don't like the gospel, and really all they want to do is fight. And and whatever praise protestations they may make to the con- contrary, they're deceivers. They're treacherous. You cannot trust them. They practice deception and they betray the truth. And their rebellion is recognized and dealt with in Psalm 120. And that rebellion that rebellion is going to end up at what the glowing coals of the, the broom tree also hint at. It's going to end up in fire. It's going to end up consumed under the wrath of God. The God of the Bible is a God of justice. And that brings us to Psalm 121. Uh, this psalm, it, 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 it assumes the situation described in Psalm 120. So I think we can think to ourselves, okay, we're still, de- still dealing with this guy who is outside the land, and he's among these warmongering deceivers who just want to fight. And look at what he says here in Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? This is just a rhetorical question because he knows the answer. He knows the answer. The only, way he, the only the only, part of this question that's a real question is, how is the help going to come? Look at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's several things that we, we should note here. Note first that how verses 1 and 2 are bound together by this word help. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord. Every two-verse section of this psalm is going to be bound together by either a theme or a particular word. My help comes from the Lord. Note also that he calls the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. If God can make the world, he can help us. That's what he's saying. If I believe that God made the world, I believe he's going to help me. So what's he asking? Before we get to what he's asking, let me also point out, look at how confident he is. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. This is, a, this is someone who's speaking from a position of confidence. There is no doubt in his mind that the Lord is going to help him. So what's he asking? How? That's what, I think that's what he's asking. How is the Lord going to help me? I think God really has a sense of humor. And if you think about the way that God helps his people in the Bible, you'll see how funny the Lord is. I mean, think about it. How does the Lord help Israel? They get thirsty. What does he use? Rocks. He brings water out of a rock. They're hungry. What does he do? He makes bread appear on the ground in the morning. The water is bitter. What does he tell Moses? Moses, get a stick and throw it in the water, and I'll make the water sweet for you. The, the Lord. He's, it's funny, isn't it? Here's this river that we can't get over, Lord. Have the priests take the ark and just go marching into the stream, and I'll stop the water. The, the Lord can use anything He pleases, and He has no shortage of imaginative solutions to the problems of His people. There are these stories in Kings about the prophets telling starving women take a jar and go start filling it up with oil, and then just keep bringing jars. And he provides for these women through these jars. There are stories in Kings and Isaiah of enemy armies who turn their swords on themselves. The Lord even brings deliverance through the births of babies. Many, many babies. But one in particular. One in particular. The Lord brings deliverance. You know, in in this article i've 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 given you enough information about this Boko Haram thing to show you that I really don't think uh, any kind of ultimate solution was was achieved by um, bribing these terrorists to give these girls back but but these these girls it was the another thing that Boko Haram didn't like about that school was that it was a mix of Christians and Muslims studying at that school. Well, the girls who were delivered, they were Christians, and the reason. I mean, this is awful, uh, but, but the Muslim girls were immediately taking, taken into uh, a form of bondage um, that I'd rather not mention from this pulpit. You can probably imagine what I'm talking about. They were immediately forced into that. The Christian girls were, to- were told, you will immediately convert to Islam and uh, marry one of our fighters. And they said, no, we will not. And they said, if you don't, then we're going to abuse you and then we're going to murder you. And they, set, they locked arms, these, these Christian girls, they locked arms with one another and they stood fast. And they refused. And, and these guys, they, they brought out these, these, jar, these gasoline jugs and they're shaking these jugs in their faces and saying, we're going to burn you alive. And it turns out that there's water in the jugs of gasoline. And they, don't do any, they didn't do anything to these girls. They released them untortured and unharmed. I submit to you that these girls lifted up their eyes to the hills and eventually the Lord delivered them, not with any kind of lasting solution, but he's going to bring a lasting solution one day. And those girls somehow were brought through that terrible ordeal alive and, I mean, they were malnourished, they were mistreated, but relatively speaking, unscathed. It's remarkable I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice how he's speaking in the first person there. I lift up my eyes, my help, and so forth. Now he's going to turn in verses 3 and 4, and he's going to talk first to an individual, you, and then to all God's people, Israel. Look at what he says, verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Uh, several years ago, I had this great opportunity to do this rafting tour through the, the Grand Canyon. We, we got on these rafts, and they took us down the Colorado, Colorado River down through the Grand Canyon. And at one point, they took us up on these ledges. And I hate heights. My kids will tell you how, how badly I do anytime I'm up on a, in a high place. And uh, I mean, I was terrified. We're, we're up on these ridges and it feels like all the world and empty space is just right here in front of us. And I'm hugging the wall, you know, getting as far away from this ledge as I can. And, um, and uh, by God's grace, I mean, he, here, I, I submit to you, you ought to memorize scripture because my mind goes immediately to, he will not let your foot be moved. And then I just start quoting Psalm 121 over and over again. I lift up my eyes to the hills as I'm trying to cling to this ledge. From where does my help come? (laughs) My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. And look at what it says next. He who keeps you will not slumber. Uh, First on, he will not let your foot be moved. The same language is used here that's used in Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. That's the verse that Jonathan Edwards started from when he preached his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that verse says, their foot will slide in due time. The word translated slide is the same word translated moved here. So you think about this the wicked, their foot will slide in due time. But those who know the Lord, those who trust Him, He will not let your foot be moved. He will not, it's just spoken to an individual. He will not let your foot be moved. Those who are faithful to the Lord, He will not let your foot be moved moved. I read a story uh, this week about these guys who were doing this rescue mission up on Mount Everest. And uh, uh, the one guy was recounting how uh, they, they'd been, they'd been, um, they had to travel overnight and, and they'd been out a- after this for like 24 hours. I mean, they'd been up there for a long time uh, trying to uh, get these people down off the mountain. And at one point they're, they um, they, they've they've extended these ropes and they're they're uh, hauling this person out, and uh, the, the guy narrating talks about how he handed the rope to his, his buddy to hold the rope, and the guy fell asleep, and then and then you know they've got to just they've got to seize the rope with their hands, and they all get rope burns because the guy fell asleep. But if they hadn't stopped the rope, you know this, this person would have just gone off the edge of the mountain. He who keeps you will not slumber. He will not grow drowsy. Behold, he who keeps Israel, now he extends it out from the individual to all the people. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber, he will not grow drowsy, nor sleep. This is a sentinel who will never get sleepy on you in the night watches. This is a sentinel who will always be alert and awake to protect you. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Notice how slumber uh, is is uniting verses 3 and 4. And then verses 5 and 6 are going to be united by this concept of shade. So he says in verse 5, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. I think the psalmist is envisioning a situation... Where the people have been liberated. Something like the exodus has happened. The new exodus has been accomplished. The new salvation. And they're now making their way through the wilderness. Scorching heat by day. And then the terrors of the night when the sun falls. The sun shall not strike you by day. Nor the moon by night. The psalmist is is saying this in multiple ways. And what he's saying is like this. Whatever situation you're in. Wherever you find yourself, you can count on the maker of heaven and earth to be your protector. Because he is an unsleeping shelter and sentry who provides an unstinting shadow. He is almighty. And this leads the psalmist to make this comprehensive statement in verse 7. The Lord will keep you. From all evil. He will protect you against evil actors. He will protect you against the evil in your own heart. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep, verse 8, your going out and your coming in. Your, Your entrance and your exit, your goings to and fro, And then I I, I skipped over the end of verse 7. Look at that. He will keep your life. Uh, The word there for life is the word soul, which does mean life. It also means soul. He will keep your soul. And it's going to happen in the present and it's going to happen in the future. Look at the end of verse 8. From this time forth and forevermore, the Lord will never fail his people. Where does this lead? Uh, look at verse 12, chapter 122. Just look at the first words. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's like the Lord has brought him back from exile and he's in Jerusalem and they're saying, let's go worship at the temple. And then look at 123, verse 1. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. And it's as though he's come before the Lord at the temple and now he's achieving his desire. He is worshiping the Lord. Psalms 120 and 121 start in a place of danger in 120 and move us to a place of confidence in 121, marching forward to Jerusalem in 122. The exile will be brought back. The stranger will be brought home and made part of the family. The new city will be built and in it God will be the glory. The sheltering presence of the Lord in Psalm 121 is the same sheltering presence that told Abraham, back in Genesis 15 verse 1, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And that same sheltering presence is what makes the words of Jesus at his ascension so special to to us. He said, I am with you always, even To the end of the age. This is Christmas. And at Christmas, we celebrate this God of surprising deliverances. Earlier, I said, In your distress, application number one, call on the Lord. Uh, Application number two, know that justice awaits the wicked. Application number three, expect the unexpected. We don't know how the Lord's gonna deliver. But we lift up our eyes to the hills, knowing deliverance is going to come from somewhere for those who know the Lord. And then here's application number four: Know that the Lord your God is the perfect sentinel. As I was thinking about this and the fact that it's Christmas, um, last night, our family, we uh, had the joy of going around and, and carolling at some homes, and on the way home um, I turned on one of my favorite Christmas songs. I love this song because of the way that it captures the longing that people feel. It, it's uh, You Too, and I don't know the name of the song, but it's got that refrain, Baby, Please Come Home. You know that song? Um, uh, they're singing Deck the Halls, but it's not like Christmas at all. I remember when you were here and all the fun we had last year. And then this refrain comes in, Baby, Please Come Home, this longing for for reunion with loved ones. Well, I think that if Bono were to experience baby, whoever it is, coming home, I, and if he were honest with us, what he would do is start singing another song. Don't you think? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I think that's what he'd sing next. <laughs> because, because there is nothing in this life that can satisfy our longing. What we're looking for is is the the return of the one who was born as a helpless child, but who will return as the reigning king. And he is going to put an end to groups like Boko Haram in a way that does not enable them to pursue their terror anymore. He is going to put an end to all threat of nuclear war. And the dawning of that day will be what we are all looking for. And so I would urge you, to hope in the One who is to come, the One who has come, the child-born King, slain for His people, returning to reign. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that You would satisfy our hearts in the Lord Jesus. I pray that You'd make us people who even as we celebrate and even as we feel valid longing for good things, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize those things that are sinful, recognize those, those habits of our own hearts of which we need to repent, perhaps ways that we ourselves look to violence to somehow accomplish what we desire, ways that we, instead of crying out to you in our distress, ways that we grumble or complain, express our dissatisfaction to everyone but you, Lord, make us people who cry out to you knowing that you will deliver, that somewhere, somehow, help will come because you are the maker of heaven and earth and because you don't slumber or sleep. And Lord, in all this, I pray that you would cause us to find our satisfaction in you. Make us people who know you. And Lord, if there are those here today who want what I'm talking about, but don't know how to get it, I pray that they would seek out somebody in this congregation, perhaps me or Matt or one of the others here, Lord, and I pray that they would communicate their desire to know you. And I pray that by your grace, you would open their hearts to hear your word, that salvation might come to them by the word of Christ. And Lord, I pray that they would call on the name of the Lord and believe that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We thank you for the salvation that you've you've brought about through the birth of the babe. What a difference that baby made. We worship you, Father. You alone are worthy. And we praise you by the power of the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.